This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today we're talking all about Dishoom's Chicken Tikka. Before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember when the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. I want to encourage you to take some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and with the indigenous communities of that area. During today's episode, my guest Vinnie Francois and I talk a lot about food as a form of meditation, as a form of escapism, uh, as a form of kind of finding beauty in the sort of simple everyday routine things. Uh, And I want to encourage you to take a little bit of time this week to think about that. Think a little bit about what areas of your life you could be, (laughs) I guess, being mindful of. This is not a mindfulness and meditation podcast by any means, but I am someone who finds that kind of thing really valuable. And so I thought maybe I would encourage you to give it a shot this week. If there is something that you do on a daily basis that feels kind of routine to you, maybe take a look at that thing and say, you know what, I could probably find some beauty in that, or I could probably find something interesting to think about about that. <laughs> try try reflecting on the things that you do in your life, that's, that's all. I think that that is a really useful skill to get into the habit of doing, and it, I think, enriches our experience of life <laughs> when even the mundane is a little bit interesting to us. Now, obviously, today's episode is about chicken tikka, but not just any chicken tikka. This is specifically about the chicken tikka from the Dishoom chain in the United Kingdom. Now, Dishoom, uh, as Vinny and I will talk about in a little bit, is an Indian-Iranian fusion chain uh, based out of London, UK, with locations all over the United Kingdom. Uh, It is very popular. They have a lot of tasty stuff on the menu, and Vinny is going to get into it a little bit, explaining how he came to love this place and what, you know... (laughs) brought him to talk about one of their dishes on the show today. Um, But if you want to taste the chicken tikka that we are talking about before we start the episode, totally understand if you need to take a day or two, go get ingredients, cook it yourself, etc. If you, you know, like me, don't live in the United Kingdom and don't have access to the store version, um, I will include a link to the recipe in the description of this episode. So you can click on that, go get everything you need. It's 
you know, it's a really nice marinated chicken that you grill and it tastes fantastic. That is, <laughs> without giving away too much of our conversation, that is what we're talking about today is a very tasty grilled chicken. If you do go try the recipe, I would love to hear how you feel about it after you have tried it. So feel free to hit us up on social media at NoBadFoodPod on, you know, Twitter or Instagram, whatever, uh, and tell us what you thought of Dishoom's Chicken Tikka. If you have already had it and maybe have even had it from Dishoom themselves, please let me know what you think. I would love to hear about it. I would love to see your pictures. I always love seeing pictures of the food that my listeners are eating, (laughs) especially if it's something that you're eating while you listen to the show. I think that there is something really fun about listening to a food podcast while eating the food of the podcast. So that's my challenge to you for this week. Make yourself some grilled chicken. If you don't eat meat, totally understood. I think that this would be just as good as a marinade for like a tofu Um, (laughs) or even cauliflower, honestly. People... People have criticized the way that I say cauliflower. I'm not going to change it. I know it's cauliflower, but you know what? I grew up calling it cauliflower. And uh, you know what? You're just going to have to deal with that. It's cauliflower for me, and it always will be. I think cauliflower is a great substitute for chicken a lot of the time. I think this marinade would be really good on it is what I'm saying. Hit the link in the description. Go try it out. So yeah, that's it for my preamble. I want to keep it short and simple today because Vinny and I get into a lot of really, really good stuff in this episode. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Vinny. My guest for this week's episode of No Bad Food is Vinny Francois. Vinny is my very first improv teacher, one of the co-hosts of the Learn Real Good podcast that launches tomorrow at the time of this episode's release, so probably by the time you're listening to this episode, it will already be out, uh, writer for the Beaverton and the founder of Improv College. Vinny, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Tom. I, uh, I mean, this isn't your first time on a podcast of mine. This is not even your first time on this podcast feed. Uh, you did do an episode or two, maybe even three, of Up for discussion back in the day, but it's your first time here talking food with us. So I want to get you to kind of contextualize yourself in the world of food for me and for people listening. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, what you grew up eating, how much of that has or hasn't changed in the, you know, time span since. Give us a little picture of who you are with food. Sure. So yeah, I was I was born here in Montreal. My mother grew up in India, and my father grew up in uh, British Guyana in South America. And so I got like this mix of. My mom did most of the cooking, so I mostly ate Indian food and kind of North American uh, food. And my dad sometimes did some cooking, but uh, it was it was mostly dominated by my mom. And so yeah, I grew up eating food that my parents made for me, like <laughs> like so many people. And yeah, I didn't have a like I didn't you know, pursue cooking. I wasn't fascinated by what was going on in the kitchen. It was just a very functional part of my day. So I could scarf down food and go play games or do other things. And then as as I grew up, I I just kind of live off of whatever I could scrounge around in the kitchen. Uh, And then it's when I moved out that I really actually had to develop a sense of food uh, for myself. And I, 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 I didn't ask how to cook and my parents never showed me how to cook. So when I actually did move out, I was like, oh, this is a whole skill. I have zero idea how to do. Right. Uh, and so I kind of had to like muddle my way forward. And fortunately, one of the first places I moved into was uh, just an, uh, uh, an apartment in Ottawa on a short term work contract and they had a barbecue. So I just grilled mm-hmm. everything I could because this is the easiest thing to cook like any like and now i'm much better at it but even then it's just like throw stuff on fire eat food sure. done. <laughs> and so over time like i slowly developed um, my relationship with cooking um and now my current partner katie uh, she's an um, incredible cook and uh, i was i was like already like getting to be 
like oh okay cooking is actually not too bad and i enjoy it but cooking with katie is like one of the joys and so now we cook together we pick recipes together um and, and i'm super thrilled to do it on my own or with her or eat her cooking uh, and now that I, you know, I have kids of my own and they're growing up. And so like one of the things that I'm uh, doing is making sure that my kids know at least the basics of sure. how to cook so that they don't have to muddle their way through it like I did. Right. You know, eating so many cans of uh, Chef Boyardee. Sure. So <laughs> so now I, I love cooking. I love I love shopping for f- ingredients. Uh, I love thinking about what I'm going to eat. I love going out to great restaurants. So, yeah, food is now... And where it wasn't previously now is a just a big part of my life. I love that. I uh, I think it's really funny thinking about barbecue as something that's easy because I I am someone who overthinks everything. I am someone who sure. you know when I'm about to approach a new thing, I'm like, okay, I want to like make sure that I'm doing the best job at it as possible. I have a really hard time getting out of my head. And so when I first started grilling, you know three, four years ago now, I uh, I was like, I'm going to really get into this. I'm going to make sure I'm doing everything right. And I mean, now it feels easy to me, but I think there was certainly an element of like, oh, I could screw this up really easily cooking mm. right over fire. But I think that you're absolutely right that like there is something inherent in humanity where cooking over fire is an instinct for us, I think. So like as soon as you can kind of get out of your head about it, cooking over fire, grilling is totally easy. I, I think that's I, that's exactly it. I, and absolutely. And using a stovetop was kind of like mysterious. Like, what are these dials for? Like, sure. I just turned everything to ten. <laughs> and just like, just blast the heat. Like, this is like a, a electric fire. What? Why would you need anything under ten? Like, you know, that was my. So just make it hot, fast, cook oh, no. food, and get out of here. Right. Uh, and also, you know, my, my my grilling techniques have also, you know, like marinades and, and and preparing you know meats or veggies for for the grill now i take time instead of just like oh bag sure. of baby carrots i'm done there's my you know there's my side <laughs> right. uh so you're right you can you can make grilling into something that does require skill and time and preparation and all of those things uh but that certainly wasn't my mindset <laughs> from the start i mean sure and you know you were young and and living oh, yeah. in an apartment short term and grilling for the first time you're gonna just kind of make whatever you make and, and yeah it works buy sausage open package throw yeah. fire eat sausage <laughs> that's it cook it till it's like almost cooked all the way through but the outside is scorched so you're oh not no, cook no, it no, yeah, no no yeah it's just like blast <laughs> yeah outside black eat <laughs> yeah if the outside of the sausage is charred enough it doesn't matter that's if the inside is raw, you can still right. eat it. Yeah, that's right. You can't get food poisoning from the inside of a food. That's no, what I've learned. That's it. Your eyes are the part that gets the food poisoning, not your. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I find it. I find it really interesting um, coming to. So, so there were kind of three things, two things really that stood out in your introduction of yourself that I think play into each other, and to me, kind of play into improv as well. And I want to know what you think of this. So, you know, obviously we're talking about barbecue. We're talking about like grilling and, you know, starting out with just kind of going very basic and then gradually building on that skill set, getting out of your head as much as possible, right? <laughs> Saying, mm, yeah. you know, let me just trust my instincts here and and cook and make something good. And even though it's not going to be fancy, it will get the job done. And then also talking about cooking together with somebody, right? Talking about, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you can be great at cooking solo, but if you cook with a partner who you trust and who you kind of like vibe with, 
in the kitchen, you can make something so much more exciting. I think that's exactly, I mean, that is improv, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like I'm, I'm a big collaborator. I'm like someone yeah. who loves being part of a team. Uh, and so having a team partner to cook with, just, you know, just sign me up for that. Yeah. I'll collaborate on that too. <laughs> right. It makes a huge difference. I, I find even though sometimes I get into a headspace where I just want to be left alone in my kitchen and just, you know, sure. focus and get in the zone. If from the very beginning of cooking, I know that I'm going to work, work with someone and collaborate with them on it, that ends up being more fun. You know, it's mm-hmm. mostly just if I start solo, I want to finish solo. That totally makes sense. Yeah, because, you know, in your head, you're plotting out like what your moves are. It's like, all right, I got to, you know, get your, get your prep your stuff get everything ready, get all the timings right. And so like when I was first starting cooking, I didn't think of anything. I didn't think about preparing anything. I didn't think of like, oh, I got to start the potatoes before, you know, I I get the meat on the grill and then blah, blah, blah. Uh, So that everything's hot and ready all at the same time. Right. And then you have to like coordinate, like, oh, I've got to get the oven at this time. And so like when Katie and I prepare, like, you know, we have guests come over or family for like a big meal. It's like, all right, we got to like make a schedule of like how this oven is going to be used. Uh, and so it becomes like a dance and a collaboration and there is some planning. Um, and, and I think, and just like improv, knowing the basics allows you to kind of wing it a lot better because you can trust your instincts. You trust how you feel uh, about what's happening in the kitchen. And the most like, oh, okay, this is, needs a little more salt. Oh, I, you know, wait, we're missing a little acid in this uh, recipe. And you can kind of add stuff and improvise and be like all right i like this recipe but what if i switch this for this and 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 that's something i like to do and then working with someone often it's easiest like certainly in in our kitchen uh is if one person is like the sous chef and doing a lot of the prep work and the other person's like preparing it putting it all together right and so in that way like we'll trade off doing those things so if she's preparing the main i'll prepare prepare the side and vice versa and then we'll sous chef for the other uh, dish right and that's kind of cool because that also feels like it translates really well to like stage work right where mm-hmm. you know you're not always going to be the focus of the scene you might just be you know supporting the other person but just like prep work is here I'm going to chop these onions for you so that they're ready when you need them doing an improv scene with someone else or really just doing anything with someone else can be a lot of you know okay I'm setting this up I'm putting myself in this spot or I'm saying these words that I think are going to give you something to work with and trusting that the other person is going to take that and turn it into something fantastic absolutely yeah and then and just like any other partner that you develop uh, a relationship with whether it's an improv partner a comedy partner um, or a life partner or a cooking partner you you know like oh this will be much easier for her or this will be much easier for me to do. And so we'll divide the tasks according to like, oh, you know what? Like, like for instance, Katie gets really affected by cutting onions. So I'm sure. the onion cutting guy. <laughs> uh, and so that, that's an easy division of tasks. And we already know that. And we don't have to say it because it's like, that's a given. And just like in improv, the more you do things with people, you're like, oh, I know what's going to delight this other person um, or make my life easier. And we can bounce off each other, feed off of each other. Uh, in, in a very similar way. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think one of the uh, one of the things that I think is really helpful in choosing someone to live with and cook with is finding people who have complementary skills to yours. Where, right. you know, like you said, you know, Katie has more trouble with onion tears than you do, so you cut the onions. Yeah. That's great. That that saves her a lot of tears. <laughs> and yeah, we're just trying to help each other. And I I will say if I and so onions as they sit there, they you know the gases get more intense, and so if you have like a particularly ripe old onion that gas can really do a number on your eyes and so i have a pair of swim goggles in the kitchen (laughs) that i use if i have a very strong onion i have to cut up i love that i didn't know that also that that the strength of the onion comes from the age of the onion that makes a lot of sense but it's just not something i've ever heard that's interesting yeah just keep it well ventilated you should be good but even even a well ventilated room you got a really uh, powerful onion it'll 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 knock your eyes out wow Hey there, it's the Midroll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of September, I'm donating $2 to The Depot, my local food bank here in NDG. They can turn every $1 into $3 worth of food for a family in need. So by doing the simple free act of leaving a rating and review of the show, you're functionally donating $6 worth of food to people who need it. There is literally no other way to turn zero into six, so if that math is exciting for you, go do it. You can learn all about what The Depot is doing at the link in the description of this episode. Now that this show has been heavily focused on food for a while, I went back and noticed that most of our existing Apple podcast reviews are pretty outdated and still talk about the show like it's a comedy podcast and also misgender me. I exclusively use they, them pronouns now, please and thank you. So if you've already left a review in the past, make sure to take this opportunity and go update it. I will count that as a new review, even if it's technically just an update of an old one, because let's face it, accurate reviews that don't misgender the host of the show are a heck of a lot more helpful than outdated ones that do. Thank you. If you're listening in Montreal and you like the idea of buying tasty food cooked for you by a podcaster, look no further. I sell food now. You can go to my Instagram page, at Tom Zalatni, to get all the details about that. But basically, you order, I cook, you pay me, and you pick it up from my house, and it's super tasty. And frankly, I really need money because school and toddlers are both very expensive, and podcasting does not pay the bills, believe it or not. (laughs) So if you want to get some food from me, go to my Instagram, at Tom Zalatni, and get all the details. Lastly, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode where my buddy Kyle and I talked about... About edible Pokemon, go cue that up and listen to it when you finish this one. We went real deep into the social and ethical implications of eating Pokemon, and of course, talked about which ones we think seem the most delicious. Anyway, that's enough for me. Let's get back to my conversation with Vinny. So speaking of things coming together to create something beautiful, see this wonderful transition? Ooh, that was a great segue. Let's talk about the dish that you wanted to bring to the show yeah. to talk about today. Um, so when I messaged you last week to figure out, you know, what we wanted to do this episode on, mm-hmm. you told me that you recently got a cookbook that you and Katie have been working through. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, and this all started, um, I was in London, this is, must be three, maybe four years ago. Who knows how time works anymore? Sure, I've yeah. Lost complete track of whatever a calendar may or may not mean. Several years ago, Katie and I found ourselves in London and I was visiting family. And one of my cousins took me to this restaurant. He's like, oh, let's meet at this restaurant called Dishoom. Uh, and it's a chain of restaurants that is a fusion of Indian and Iranian cuisine, um, which Im- immediately was like, yes, please. Oh, that sounds incredible. Sure, yeah. And so we went to, funny story, we went to meet them there and we ended up going to the wrong Dishoom because it is a chain. And so right. we had to 
haul ass down <laughs> across town to, to meet my cousin. But uh, he was sitting there waiting for us and enjoying a nice pint and, uh, and some appetizers. Anyways, we got there and then we had one of probably, you know, one of my favorite meals, like for a chain restaurant. And like, it's not like Olive Garden where they're just, you know, churning out uh, <laughs> breadsticks uh, by the pound. Sure. Uh, they really, the, the meal is... Uh, a lot of little dishes, almost like tapas, mm. uh, where you get a small portion of everything. So you kind of like you're you're picking and nibbling at each of the dishes, and you're meant to like kind of order wide mm. uh, rather than one big plate. Okay. So just everything we ordered was awesome. Like the greens, like uh, the drinks were great. Anyway, it was just a really incredible experience for us. Uh, we really really liked it. And so yeah, one of the things that stood out for me, uh, Katie's vegetarian, but I eat meat. Uh, was chicken tikka uh, and it's basically I mean it's grilled chicken it's it's <laughs> it's you take chicken you marinate it and you grill it sure. um, but it is so flavorful uh, and prepared in a way that I don't think I really had chicken prepared for me before and I've had chicken tikka in other places and you know sometimes it's drowning in sauces and you can you can add sauces sure. but this was it was just good enough to eat on its own it was it was amazing so we got the, the recipe book we found out earlier this year that they had a recipe book and we ordered it immediately and just started making stuff from it and then I made the chicken tikka and I was like eh. and it's not quite like the restaurant but it's pretty close sure. and it is better uh than you know a ton of other chicken recipes that I, that I make that's awesome yeah i mean it's interesting so you mentioned that usually when you get chicken tikka it's like over sauced right and right. i was i was looking into why that would be because when you sent me the dishroom chicken tikka recipe one of the things that the person who wrote it or copied it onto a blog or whatever you know said in the preface for it was chicken tikka masala is like the most popular dish in the uk if you're expecting that Stop expecting that, because this is not that. Um, yeah. So I said, okay, well, why is that? And I looked into it, and the word tika is uh, derived from a Turkish and Azerbaijani word meaning bits or pieces. So it just refers to, you know, chicken that is kind of chunked up. Chunked up is a weird way to say that. Chopped it's, into chunks. <laughs> before, we, before we had the word nuggets, that's what they were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the chicken tika that we're talking about today is one that is, you know, chunks that have been grilled. But, you know, the mm. kind of typical chicken tikka masala that you'll see on a lot of Indian restaurant menus is one that is kind of a curried sauce, you know, not to use the word curry too liberally, uh, but Wikipedia is using it. So, you know, I'll let them. Um, It's creamy and orange colored as opposed to, you know, this dish that has a really vibrant color, but I would say is more yellow. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So yeah, let's dig into it because I I tried this out the other day. We have... Mm we have some neighbors who live up the street whose kids are the same age as our kids. And we like bonded with them on the first day of kindergarten and befriended them. And now, you know, every week or two, we have them over for a barbecue in the alley and Mm. the kids run around and it's a good time. And uh, they've kind of become my guinea pigs for testing out new recipes. And uh, it was a hit. Everybody loved the chicken tikka. What is it about this dish that, that you specifically feel drawn to like from the stuff in the dishroom cookbook? I think, I mean, one, just marinating your meat, if you have the time to prepare and let your meat marinate, uh, it always improves how it's prepared. It's more tender. Uh, the flavor soaks all the way through. So you're not just like seasoning the outside of your food. Like, right. It really permeates it. Uh, and then it just tenderizes it. So your meat is like when you go to cook, it doesn't dry out. It, uh, it just stays like 
has a great texture to it. Sure. And you really get the flavor of the meat rather than the flavor of the seasoning. So it's it's light enough to bring out the flavor of the chicken, uh, but present enough to to feel like, oh, there's a lot going on here. And like all of those ingredients that go into it, like you're like, oh, I can taste all these little hints and notes of, of each of these ingredients. And they really combine in a bright and like lively way, I guess. Like it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just, you know, salt. That's not the only flavor you're getting. Like, you know, you're getting your acid. You're getting, you know, you can put a little heat in if you're using uh, some chili peppers. Uh, you're getting all of these um, combinations of flavors and profiles uh that i think you know versus say just like all right here's some <laughs> here's salt and pepper and olive oil on my chicken stick sure. it on the grill and i'm like that's fine that's a real simple way to prepare it um but this one is just like just a little bit of grilling uh all of these flavors don't disappear mm-hmm. under the heat and uh and then you put a little acid at the end so i use yeah. lemon rather than lime okay because I, I prefer lemon uh but i you know if you love lime go with the lime mm-hmm. uh, that's what's called for and um yeah it just it just makes the whole thing be like whoa this is like an explosion of flavors in my mouth yeah that's it i i so to kind of you know go into like a little bit of what goes into that marinade um there's fresh ginger garlic green chilies chili powder uh i think turmeric is that right yep yeah that's right i don't know if i'm missing anything else i'm not looking at the menu or the recipe Uh, i'm just some salt and some sugar there we go yeah (laughs) so and then obviously some vinegar as the sort of like main liquid for it um and then yeah you hit it with a lemon or lime you know right off the grill beautiful i i found when i was eating it the the ginger flavor kicked through in a really beautiful way and there's Mm. something about ginger with citrus that like mm. to me that is just a winning combination like there's oh, nothing better for me that's a good one and i think that there's something to maybe the flavor profile of this dish that felt almost healing to me in a weird way where like <laughs> right. you know maybe it's because i associate like you know lemon ginger tea is something that i drink whenever my like stomach is feeling a little off right or you know and and like turmeric is a flavor that i associate with health because you know there's a whole sure. craze around putting turmeric and everything because it's good for you because it is good for you but i still i associate that flavor with like "Mm, i'm trying to like i'm trying to make this something that will make me feel whole almost Mm -hmm, and i thought it was mm -hmm. really interesting because like you know the chicken isn't huge when you eat it off of the skewer Right. right like it you know you put it in chunks in the first place and then when you're cooking it it does shrink down a little bit Mm -hmm. but it felt so filling Mm -hmm. you know like i ate maybe two chicken thighs right right <laughs> but because well, I mean, of that it felt like such a it was like a holistic eating experience almost in yeah. a way that i really appreciated and i don't feel like i get that from a lot of other meat dishes i don't know uh, for me when a meal is has those kind of flavors and there's a lot going on it i eat slower mm. like i really try to savor each bite and like i kind of like think about like what am i tasting right uh and like i'm not great at identifying flavors and 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 notes and all these like like katie's incredible at it she like she'll bite something and be like oh i taste this this, this and it's like yeah that's totally accurate right so i'm like i when i get something like that uh i'm like oh what does that taste like in my mouth and can i identify like when i've made it can i identify everything that i put in just to kind of like practice like train that i guess skill sure um and uh so i eat slower and just the fact that i'm not like snarfing down a hot dog 
uh, in like three bites. Uh, it just means that like, okay, yeah, I'm going to eat less, uh, enjoy it more and feel more full. Right. So that's all good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll admit we also made hot dogs when we, yeah. <laughs> when we made them. I was <laughs> like, course. you know, get a packet of hot dogs, grill those up to eat while we wait for the chicken to cook. Everything is good. No, but I feel awesome. that there is something to a complicated flavor profile, I think makes you want to spend a little more time with each bite. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, I mean, slowing down, I think that there's, there have been maybe studies, if not studies, then certainly, you know, articles written about, you know, eat slower and you'll eat less, which like, I don't like that in terms of like the diet culture side of it, but I do like it in terms of the, like taking the time to kind of meditate on your food. Yeah. So I think that makes sense, you know, eat something super tasty and you will, you know, instinctively kind of chew a little slower. Yeah. As, as, as someone who can sometimes like just view food as like, okay, I need to do this nutrition in, minimize the time spent on this. <laughs> sure. Uh, it just becomes like, heat food, stick in mouth, go. Uh, and so when I take the time to prepare something, uh, I want to take the time to savor it. And so, and it, and it, the whole eating experience feels like, oh, I'm not just, you know, like, what's the difference between, you know, walking from my house to the bus stop and I got to get somewhere or like I'm going on a hike in the forest and I'm going to stop and enjoy it and you know uh you know uh, soak in the view and there's you know both one's functional and one is you know done for amusement and 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 satisfaction so there's you know different ways of approaching food uh and so when I make a meal like that I'm like yeah I'm gonna I'm not gonna race to the bus stop I'm gonna enjoy this hike yeah yeah I like that analogy because I I think that it's true that like the more we the more time and effort we put into something, the more we want to savor and enjoy the final mm-hmm. product of it, right? Like, that's something that I struggled with for a long time with food was like, you know, if I put hours and hours into cooking and then I ate it in five minutes, it didn't feel like it was worth the right. hours and hours of cooking. I've since learned to enjoy the cooking side of it as much as I enjoy the eating side right. of it. But for a long time, that was, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head when you were, you know, introducing yourself earlier, talking about how there was a period where you just viewed food as sustenance right where you're mm-hmm. you're just like oh, i'm just gonna eat whatever i need to eat i need to get those vitamins yeah. and nutrients and whatever i gotta you know sustain myself but you don't actually value it that much no and i think that at some point you know something clicks and you go oh wait hang on there's more to this than just the the nutritive value of it you know yeah yeah because you know on an instinctual level you're like i'm hungry need food put food in belly please right and then and that's that's you know that's 100 percent valid you sometimes yeah. you just gotta you know get food in there um but it, as time you know we all spend time on things that we enjoy uh and some people you know find cooking a huge chore and i was one of those people and it's just like what is the least amount of time i could spend on this chore like cleaning the bathroom it's like yeah, it's got to get done. Right. Uh, but, you know, how do I make this maximally clean uh, in a minimal amount of time and effort? And you can approach cooking in that way, too. It's like, all right, I get food. You know, and there, I, I know people who eat out super, super regularly. And it's uh, it's fine if you don't have the time and you have the resources. Great. Uh, but it's, it's difficult to do in a sustainable, healthy, feel-good way because it's just like you're just – minimizing the amount of time that you're spending on food uh either you know prep or cleanup which you know are owner's tasks no no doubt um but learning like you say learning to enjoy the process of it if you can enjoy that and then you'll enjoy the eating of it 
those can be enjoyable experiences, just like any other sense that we have. You know, if we spend the time to enjoy it, it's, it becomes rewarding in and of itself. Yeah, well, that's interesting because I the the other thing that kind of popped up in my mind when you were talking about you know eating for sustenance versus eating for for savoring uh, and and comparing it to you know walking to the bus stop or going on a hike, I think that very occasionally I'm not good at this. I'll be the first to admit I am I am I feel like I'm a New Yorker trapped in a Montrealer's body. I am just <laughs> I'm walking here. I am going where I'm going. Do not interrupt me. Do not, no red lights, just, sure. just go, you know? But I think that there are the best times that I spend outside are the ones where I stop for a second and take in what's going on, mm-hmm. even if I'm just going somewhere because I need to. Even if I'm just going to the grocery store and it's like a two minute walk, I might stop and I might look up at something that I don't usually look at. And those are the moments that feel to me like I'm taking a second and actually tasting my, you know, quarter pounder with cheese instead of right, just yeah. shoveling it into my face and and that yeah. i think is it's something that we can and maybe should do in all areas of our life again i'm bad at doing it anywhere except for food but I, I, it feels like a good thing to me you know i mean it, it really does come down to that quantity versus quality like you know i just want quantity of food in my mouth not a quality <laughs> of food in my mouth and we all have to like we only get a certain amount of hours in a day yeah and so you have to apportion it out you know as we see fit and it's according to what needs to get done versus what we want to get done uh and we may want to do a million things but you know we only have those 24 hours so we can just like there's always a trade-off like all right well i can spend an hour on this or i can spend five minutes on this right uh which allows me to spend an hour somewhere else that may be more important and there's you know everyone has to make those choices uh and the more choices you have then you know, if you have that luxury of being like, you know what, I'm going to just take my time, make a meal and sit down and enjoy it. And, and there's a community that you have, whether it's a family or friends um, or you just enjoy it on your own. Uh, that's entirely like a decision that we have to make every single day. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, can can I spend two hours preparing a meal every single day? No, that, that's not feasible. Uh, and, you know, it, if I wanted to, could I spend, you know, five minutes every day on food? Yeah, but I don't think I would enjoy that either. And so there's always a, a trade-off of like quantity versus quality, and it all comes down to time. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I feel like the sweet spot for me is like, and you know, I'm just realizing now that I think of this as a sweet spot with podcasting as well. It's like I make something where it can take between 20 minutes and an hour. Sure. And that is usually, you know, 20 minutes feels like the minimum amount of time to put into something for it to be tasty. I mean, you know, everything is tasty. I can make myself a sandwich in 30 seconds that is delicious. But like, you know, when I'm thinking about it in terms of putting actual work into it, I don't want to spend five minutes cooking something. That feels silly. If I'm going to spend five minutes making food, I'm going to just make a peanut butter sandwich and move on. But 20 minutes feels like the kind of minimum for anything that involves heat, I guess. And then an Mm -hmm. hour, you know, once it's beyond an hour, it better be because I'm like making multiple courses or I'm marinating something or I'm grilling and it took 45 minutes to get the coals heated up, you know, whatever it ends up being. I need, I need that like 20 minutes to an hour is, is I think the ideal window. And most weeknights I can do that. You know, that feels manageable, even with picking up the kids, even with going to school, you know, with the exception of the one day a week that I actually have to go to campus from like four to eight thirty PM, the rest of the week I can handle that hour. And that feels right to me. Right. 
I mean, yeah, and and we're all making those calculations. We all have to make those trade offs, on like, you know, how much time am I going to spend on this? Who's going to eat it? Who is it? Just me? Well, I, all right, well, great. I'll just make a peanut butter sandwich. Or it's like, you know what? I really want to enjoy a good meal today. And you go to the grocery store. You get all the stuff for your recipe. You come home. You prepare it. You spend all the time. And you sit down and enjoy it. That's wonderful. Yeah. And then you know, you, you uh, uh, someone who's a parent. Uh, you also know it's like, well, I'm gonna make this meal. And like my kids are all there, they're 16 and 14, and they're starting to like, you know, appreciate food a little more. But you know, when they're little, they don't care whether it's fresh rolled pasta or, or a box of KD. Like to them, you know, they almost prefer the KD because it's full of like, you know, sugars and preservatives and all those great flavors. Sure. Uh, so it, it, it's a little bit of like, oh, I just spent like two hours of preparing this meal that they just snarfed down in two minutes <laughs> and could could not care less uh, about what it tastes like because like yeah as a kid I didn't care sure you know I just knew that my mom you know when she cooked a meal it tasted really good but I didn't I was just like to me it like parents make food food shows up on table it was like a black box to me right and I think teaching my kids to to cook and showing them you know how food ends up from you know the fridge to <laughs> to the table gives them a, an appreciation of like oh yeah it's not just parents go into kitchen food come out it's you know like oh there's a process this this it does this thing you have to do that and then when it's served in front of them like oh yeah okay my parents didn't just open up a bag of bread and dump it out on the table for us <laughs> to eat in the food trough right uh, which uh, you know that sounds fine too <laughs> yeah and, and historically like you know <laughs> that kind of eating is a thing for various reasons but but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no that's it i i think i think you hit the nail on the head with this idea of like showing kids what goes into making their food i think makes them appreciate it more you know they might mm -hmm. not say it they might not no. you know ever say out loud that they like the thing or they will or they'll compliment the one part of it that was actually really easy like my 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 stepdaughter will do this a lot where you know we'll sit down to a meal that i slaved over for an hour and <laughs> you know teffer and i'll be like wow like this chicken is perfect these potatoes yeah that's amazing and you know she'll pipe in and go the rice is fantastic and i'm like thanks i boiled it you know, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, I still appreciate that. I appreciate the, you know, wanting to be part of that conversation, but not always being in the kitchen as things are happening, not always knowing sure. what all actually goes into it. Right. And so those rare occasions where I can convince the kids to come cook with me instead of, you know, going off and playing for right. that time, there's something really cool about that. Like Toby, my, my toddler will sometimes come hang out in the kitchen while I'm cooking and insist on helping me chop potatoes. That's his favorite thing right now. I don't actually let him hold the knife. Yeah. Um, what I do is I chop the potatoes and I push them aside on the cutting board and he can take those and put them in the pan while I chop Perfect. other potatoes. And it's, it's a whole little, you know, conveyor belt process and he loves it. And then when the potatoes end up on the table after he's like, Oh, I helped make these. I made Absolutely. these potatoes. And that's such a cool thing for him where otherwise, you know, the potatoes that we serve on the table obviously look different from how they look in the store or in the bag or whatever, but they don't look that different, right? Like they're still <laughs> potatoes. Yeah. It's, it's really easy for kids to just look and go, well, that's a potato. Cool. <laughs> right. Right. So, and, and, yeah. and, and, and it was something that I didn't appreciate. Like my parents cooked for me and quite frequently made really good meals. I had no idea. And only when I moved out, I was like, oh, wow, that, <laughs> is, that was a lot more work than I had assumed it would be. And so, yeah, just being like, oh, 
like you say, like kids don't. You're kids. What do you What do you know about anything? <laughs> you're a kid. <laughs> I mean, uh, and so you don't appreciate any of the stuff <laughs> you know that 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 comes to you as as, as a kid. Uh, and so. <laughs> You know, the whole world around you is just like, I don't know what's happening. I'm told where to go and I show up and I do the stuff. And, you know, sometimes I get to play around in this room and then, you know, you, you and then you move out and it's like, whoa, now what? <laughs> uh, where do clean clothes come from? <laughs> <laughs> that is one that I am happy to say I knew before moving out. I had already learned how to do my own laundry. Now, you know, my kids know how to do laundry. Even Toby will help me load and unload the washing machine and the dryer. He loves pushing the button to turn it on. You know, all of these essential skills we have to teach children and so often don't because it's easier to just cook by ourselves for, you know, half an hour. And (laughs) I think, I think also as parents, like, I mean, your kids are older, so maybe this has become less true for you, but, but certainly with young kids, sometimes you just want a break, you know? Sometimes you're like, don't come in the kitchen for the next 20 minutes. Please go occupy yourself. Let me listen to some music and chop some onions and not have to interact with anybody. Oh, I think cooking as an escape is super underrated. Right? (laughs) Super underrated. Like, it's so so often viewed as a chore and just like uh, like a drag. But I think cooking as an escape, like, some people can read a book, some people can go for a walk. Cooking is like you know uh really meditative if you can do it on your own in a way like you really like you say you get locked in you just want to focus on what you're doing and you've got all these tasks and your mind is occupied and kind of like the out your brain uh doesn't have space for the outside world to intrude Mm -hmm. you're just locked in yeah Uh, and you can focus on what's right in front of you and you're like really present because you're paying attention to how things are cooking and what's going in and you have to just be attentive in a way that maybe you we aren't in other places and so it becomes like a way of shutting out the world and focusing (laughs) inward and and what's right in front of us when very often that's not what we do yeah well and i think that it has the unique added benefit of being something that you can do that with where you can have that solo time you can have that escape while also doing something that's helpful for other people because you can't like you know if i want to read a book if i want to like sit down lock myself in a room for an hour and read about jewish pirates in the you know 15th century Mm -hmm. uh, no reason that's a specific example um (laughs) if i want to do that that doesn't really benefit my kids right like that doesn't benefit my partner except in that it'll put me in a good mood which benefits everybody but like it doesn't it doesn't create something that i can share that easily right i mean i guess i can tell them about how christopher columbus was probably jewish (laughs) you know but like it doesn't actually give me much but if i'm cooking you know if i go lock myself in the kitchen for an hour god i wish my kitchen had a door (laughs) with a lock (laughs) um but you know if i do that at the end of that hour i have had my like refreshing solo escape time and then everybody gets to eat something delicious and that feels like still productive yeah yeah i love it i love a productive escape two birds one stone man i wish i had had this realization at the beginning of virgo season instead of now (laughs) (laughs) um vinnie before i let you go do you have any final thoughts about you know food as a meditative practice or you know cooking chicken tikka grilling marinating anything you want to leave people with as a sort of Um, word of wisdom I, I I guess for me, food 
has most often been associated. It's not really a solo practice. Like, it, I mean, I'll make my own meals and, and I'll eat them on my own, but it's always amplified in both its potency and joy when it's shared. Mm. Uh, like, it's so communal uh, in a way. I love having people over for dinner. I love cooking for other people. I love cooking with other people. Uh, and it becomes... Uh, uh, a shared experience uh, like you know just like comedy is a shared experience laughter is social very rarely do we you know when we're watching something on our own do we laugh but when we're with other people we laugh to show that we're enjoying it but with food you know eating the food that we've made uh with people and then eating it together it's it, there's so much joy to be shared in that experience and it's so feels so human and alive and i think um treating it as uh, a mundane you know physical requirement of existence that you know weighs at your day uh you know some days you just don't have the energy for it that's fine but sure. if we can find and make that space for it i think uh it becomes restorative rather than something that drains from us so uh yeah i like and it took me a while to get to that space but i'm there and it, life is so so much easier yeah, I love that. I, I've been thinking a lot about food as food and its relationship to community. My mm-hmm. one of the few classes I'm taking this semester is a food and religion course. And you can't oh, talk wow. about food and religion without talking about community, because Absolutely. religion without community is kind of nothing, right? And like, mm-hmm this idea of i like the way you said it it food is amplified in its potency when it becomes a shared communal experience i love that i think that that hits the nail right on the head sharing food with people it's a big deal even (laughs) even just sharing like you know i get i get wacky mac you know it's it's just kosher boxed mac and cheese it's more fun because there's different shapes you know (laughs) that's it that's the only difference and you know, I make that for lunch and the kids are like, this is awesome. I love mac and cheese and I eat it with them. And I'm like, you know what? This was $2 and <laughs> very little. Yeah, everyone's happy. <laughs> and everyone's happy and we're sharing that. Yeah. That is such a stark contrast from my boxed mac and cheese eating days of my youth where <laughs> I would, you know, make two boxes of craft dinner at a time right. and sit down and eat the whole thing and feel bad. You know? That, well, I mean, yeah. those boxes say it's supposed to be four servings, but we all know that's a big I mean, lie. Yeah. For who? Ants? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, before I let you go, please take a minute to, you know, tell people where they can find you, where they can check out Learn Real Good. Tell us a little bit more about Learn Real Good. Everything you want people to check out, now is the chance to do the pluggy plugs sure yeah i mean learn real good is a brand new podcast that my, katie and i are starting together uh both of us have a comedy and science background so we thought we'd combine the two and so we it's a podcast where we interview canadian undergrads who are completing either a master's or a phd about their research uh, we ask them questions about it and we try to make it fun and just like science can be so stodgy and boring so we're trying to bring a comedy angle to it but still learning about the science the actual science that gets done and we learn about the people who do it and how science works on its foibles and its challenges and you know the the good stuff that comes out of it uh and the people who do it and how they ended up there and so for us it's just a bunch of really great conversations with, with people who love science and that includes us uh, and yeah, it's launching September 28th. You can check it all out at LRG Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, 
yeah and so you can just look yeah just look up lrg pod on facebook twitter uh or instagram uh, and you can find us hosted on the, the pod cavern network so that's just learn real good you might not be able to find it but just lrg pod is the easiest way to get to us on on any of those social media amazing and i'll make sure to include links in the description of this episode for ease of access um people who have been listening to the show for a while definitely have heard about the pod cavern before you know tung la who's a you know right. regular guest on here lovely guy that's his network i kind of think of them as like a sister network to the upward network which mm-hmm. is like not a thing that really exists but like <laughs> you know we we vibe we're good we're pals I love it. um so definitely check them out i'll include a link to that i'm so excited to hear this podcast i feel like a learn real good podcast is a thing that like I have wanted to exist for years and I'm so, so <laughs> stoked that you guys are doing it. We're very excited by it. And we, and we're like, as we were doing, like, I can't believe how much fun this is to do. So <laughs> I hope everyone else gets to enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me, Tom. Yeah. My pleasure. And that brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening to No Bad Food. Do you want to join the conversation? Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at NoBadFoodPod or at TomZalatni. If you like this episode and want to help me make the show even better, you can go to Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'd be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, and Andrew, Laura, and Chantal, and David. Our patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that is exciting for you at all, go to Patreon.com slash NoBadFoodPod food pod to make it happen i also have merch and you can hit the merch link in the description to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at t public and of course you can support the show for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice especially apple podcasts and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by zach ingles and our cover art is by david flam you can find links for both of them as well as links to everything that Vinny and i want you to check out in the description of this episode and last but certainly not least the show is produced and edited by me tom zalatni as part of the upford network you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com See you next week. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives, and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.